enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together and we talk about a different film in the horror genre from the well-known, well-revered classics to those rare gems, Jesus, to those (laughs) rare gems drinking a jar of acid at the back of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are going to talk about from 2018, the instant classic, best Nicolas Cage film of all time, Mandy. Tim, if you could create the perfect revenge weapon, what would it be? And bonus question, what would you name it? Oh, a revenge. Are you talking like an actual like implement? Like a like Yes, a, like you, a uh, you are fighting demon bikers. Uh, what do you make? Um, I would say you're using this instrument also as a, you know, it's a symbol. It's a, it's an extension of yourself. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, um, a a friend of ours, actually a mutual friend of ours once gave me a, uh, a jawbone. Um, and it is, uh, it's beautiful. And, and as soon as you see, and I don't remember what animal it's from, but it's a big, I mean, God, I don't know. Like it's a, a foot, foot and a half. Like it's, it's a large lower jawbone, um, but just like one side of it. Right. So it's got this kind of, uh, the, the bone part of it itself is very thick and very sturdy. And then it's got the teeth on top of that. Yeah. as soon as I saw it, like it's cool as like a bleached jawbone in and of itself, but you can't look at this thing and not picture it as a weapon. So I would say to hit somebody, <laughs> this is kind of awesome, to strike someone with someone else's mouth. <laughs> it's a great way to fucking kill somebody. Nice. Like I'm not even I'm not gonna kill you with my mouth. I'm gonna use somebody else's mouth and fucking <laughs> embarrass you on top of it. All right. That is a very fitting Timmy weapon. Now, bonus, what do you name it? If someone sees you coming, they're like, oh shit, it's Tim, and he's got blank. Um, I would say uh I give it like um like maybe because like kind of like to to contrast the badassness of it maybe just call it like twofer. <laughs> twofer. Dude, yes, I love it. It's Here Tim. comes twofer. It's Timmy and twofer. <laughs> yes. Uh that's no, that's a great answer. And I realize as I'm saying it usually the name comes f- born of the situation that it's in you know so or can i change it to a bone can i change it to boner <laughs> let's go with boner okay <laughs> who doesn't and like that it's like your own pet name for it like yeah it's yeah, boner but in, in my quiet moment boner no it is twofer <laughs> yes oh yes. i love that answer excellent well shit 
Well, I think he'd be a formidable foe uh, with Boner. With, to, with my Boner? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your Boner versus Reaper. I'm going Boner every time. Because <laughs> uh, Reaper's a weapon in the movie Mandy. <laughs> bad, bad transition. Anyway, <laughs> why even worry about transitions? Let's just start talking about this movie because yes. it's awesome. Uh, so this is Mandy from 2018. Uh, it's written by Panos Ka- uh, Cosmostos. Am I saying that right? Do you think? Yeah, it's it's Greek, either way you cut it. Okay. Yeah. And Aaron Stewart on, and it was directed by by Panos. Uh, and it stars Nicolas Cage as Red Miller, Andrea Riseborough as Mandy, and Linus Roche as Jeremiah Sand. Had a budget of about six million box office. Again, 1.4. Bad box office. Excellent reviews and word of mouth. Another one. Uh, Some people have, yeah, I'm just going to say real quick, there are many people, reputable people um, that that aren't just genre fans that put Mandy on the best of list for 2018. Yeah. If this is in, I I just felt like if this movie is heavily marketed, it would be huge. It would be huge. It would be not a goofy. It's not goofy cage. We talked in the last episode about, is two modes and one is goofy crazy and one is emotional crazy and this is emotional crazy and it is so well done and could only be done by Nicolas Cage like this movie is has perfect storm but not the movie perfect storm (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy it's weird at the end of this movie George Clooney dies in a boat too I did not see that coming no if if Uh, only if only perfect storm could have had like the boat, but then like in just a little like life raft, just cage going nuts alongside of them the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> just like a going sort of ham wayward, on the weather, like a wayward captain that's been out there for too long, just completely lost his mind. <laughs> He's been through like 12 of these storms. Oh shit. But yes, this movie is just a, a perfect storm of awesomeness. Uh, director's vision. Just uh the performances in it the the design of it the fucking music in it mm, yeah um i don't know man perfect movie dare i say no you're you're <laughs> on to something and, and and i'm i'm behind that a thousand percent because i guess we can't say perfect because it does not pass the Bechdel wallace test but anyway what were you gonna say oh wait, 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 wait what about in the store in the oh. store oh when when the two are talking and, okay. she, and Mandy's working, maybe I'd have to go back maybe. and watch it. Maybe. Oh, because she but asked just, what she's reading. She asked what book she's you're reading. You're right. She likes her shirt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it boom. does pass it. Perfect movie. Perfect film. <laughs> Mandy. <laughs> so Wonderful. anyway, what were you going to say before I interrupted? Sorry. Well, I was just going to say um, that, and of course we're going to talk about this in in twelve different ways, but. For one singular movie to have so many elements, it's one thing to say like, oh, here's a love story, but it also has elements of comedy, like, you know, the rom-coms, like every, everybody knows that. Or here's um, an action movie, but it's got some, you know, uh, a love story. Yeah, some it. heart to it. But for this movie to have so many different elements that it's almost even creating some of its own genre like i don't know i i don't i don't want to jump ahead but this movie would have still been the perfect movie without the demonic 
genuinely scary acid induced biker gang. But the fact that it's also in there along with everything else, it could have just been Nicolas Cage versus the Jesus freaks. Okay. But the fact that they put in this scary, genuinely like terrifying group of like weirdly futuristic Mad Max robotic, um, just psychopathic biker gang, like that's hitting a note that I don't think has been hit since like, certain movies of the eighties, like, like those Mad Max films and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got everything. It has everything and not just like touching on something. This has one of the most sincere uh, relationships and romances of any movie I've seen. And it's done so minimally. Yeah. But it's, there's a scene that I'm going to talk about that I love so much later um, that is, is nearly nonverbal. And it's so touching to me that I'm I'm not sure that I've ever seen anybody love someone more than in this particular scene. And it's not even the fire scene. Um, so it's this movie is we're going to go nuts on this thing. Yeah, because you can you can look at uh, like couples in movies and it's like there are couples that click there are couples where you're just like i want to watch these two fuck like that'd be awesome <laughs> uh there are movies there they have no chemistry at all we just watched some movie called locked down with Anne uh, hathaway in it mm-hmm. and it's her and i forget the guy's name uh oja four is his last name oh yeah yeah that guy yeah, yeah. um zero chemistry i'm like i fucking don't care about these two at all right yeah um and there's something about uh, uh, Red and Mandy in this where it's you don't get the, you aren't like, oh, yeah, these two, all they want to do is bang like there's not that it's not there. It's not like they don't look like they'd be a pair. But when they're together, you just are like. They they would rather there be no one else like they've secluded themselves. They just enjoy each other. Yeah, so much which is really what I think uh, love itself as an emotion is I think a very reactionary thing, but there, uh, but there's that the, the, the uh, companionship of, yeah. of, of where socially all they need, they get everything they need from one other interaction. And that's very special. And that comes out in spades in this movie. And, and in the most of, sometimes mundane of ways. I mean, just sitting next to each other on the couch, watching TV, you that's know, the, that's, that is the exact scene I'm thinking of when I yeah. think about what, like, yeah, they don't need sets to be them apart from other, you know, romances and movies, just their enjoyment of eating dinner in front of the TV, watching this sixties B sci-fi movie. Yeah. It's so great that way. They don't they don't need to be, you know, standing at the base of the Eiffel Tower and being serenaded by some, you know, French uh, street musician or something. Just kind of schmaltzy stuff that you would see in other movies that are trying to convey like true love or pure love. It's just the most pedestrian of scenes between these yeah. two. But somehow it's they're perfect together. Yeah another one we could just say every we could describe every scene but another one that stuck out to me was when he gets home from work it's not like she jumps up and is like oh my love i've missed you so much you know i can't stand being away from you you know he just comes in and he's like wow what are you doing she's like i'm drawing and she just continues to draw and he kind of yeah. admires it and they just 
They, well, that's, they each have their own individual things that they're doing. There seems to be another part where he goes out fishing. There's a very cool aerial shot where they're just in a boat. Like he's fishing. She's not fishing. She's probably just sitting there either reading a book or sketch. You can't really tell what she's doing. Yeah. But just the fact that she would be like, I'd love to go out and, and share what you love doing while I do another thing. Right. Yeah. And it's exactly that scene that I'm talking about, the one where, where he comes home and it's in the very beginning. And he writes, she's just sketching. And I'm I'm watching that scene and I don't I don't want to over inflate it for somebody that hasn't seen the movie. But what touched me so deeply um, and I don't know if I just didn't notice it the first time around. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've actually never gotten emotional on this podcast before, which is a shocker. Dude, I was that we've just done. thinking about that today. I'm like, we've done never like, cried yet. It's amazing. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm quick to emotion, but I'm watching this scene. And, and just like you said, he asked her what she's doing. She says that she's drawing and he asked her what she's drawing and she describes it. And it's literally just the way that Nicolas Cage looks at what she's doing and just that he's taking it in and appreciating it and, and just in such awe of her talent. And I just thought, you know, as a, a parent of daughters, like if I, I hope that my daughters would find someone who would love them that purely just, just to be in awe of their talents or, or who they are as a person. Okay. I, I won't, yeah. I'm going to stop there before I go too far, but I'm just saying it's, it's a beautiful mm beautiful moment and it's just this look on his face like he's really like wow like look at what you can do and it's it's gorgeous it's yeah. a wonderful little moment okay let, let me throw out nansum i feel like we have to do it and then, oh, we'll, yeah. then we'll jump back in um <clears throat> okay nansum mandy and red are deeply in love and spend every moment they can in each other's presence all of this is torn apart the day mandy is spotted by jeremiah sand a cult leader who becomes obsessed with her with the help of the demonic biker gang, the Black Skulls, Mandy and Red are kidnapped. However, when Mandy resists Swan's advances, she's killed in front of Red, and he is left for dead. Broken and bloodied, Red sets off on a mission of revenge against the biker gang and the cult that took everything from him. There you go. It's a story that's been told before. I'll say sure. that, but I've never... I don't... I don't it's weird how different this one feels and it is in the, I mean, it's obviously in the characters and the style and I shouldn't say, oh, yeah. I don't know what sets it apart. But <laughs> it sets right. it apart so well. I'm not bothered by the vengeful lover trope. Yeah. And you've got a director here who just in, in, and how you described it, it's, it's not something that at least in theory that we haven't seen before, but you have a director here. I think what what separates it is that he's not, by his own admission, he's not overly uh, obsessed with plot in a movie. He's more interested in characters and atmosphere, which he basically just described his own movie right there. Because it's it's we know who these characters are. We have a very very crystal clear knowledge, even if some of these characters sort of defy reality or explanation we know exactly what's going on with them and uh, and then of course the atmosphere which this movie is loaded with what's so funny about this director though if you read any interviews like when this movie came out just like we were saying it's a, it's kind of a critic's darling and 
I've read interviews where these interviewers are serving up these cream puffs. You know, they're they're sitting down with the director and they're saying, you have created this gorgeous, futuristic, fantastical landscape with these amazing characters and and this uh, heart pounding action and this beautiful love story. And what what were the inspirations? What how did this all begin for you? And he'll just say something like, well, I think I thought of the chainsaw fight first. <laughs> and it's like, what? Like, like, you just could have like made yourself sound like the most lauded genius in the world. Right. It's like so for a movie that exudes so much atmosphere and otherworldliness, he's a really down to earth guy, kind of like David Lynch. Like you see these crazy, amazing David Lynch movies. And then when you see him, like hear him in person, you know, he's just this very matter of fact Midwestern yeah. person, kind of <laughs> almost even boring. And yeah, but it's. That's what this guy is. So That's a really good, David Lynch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's um, he's very unassuming. In in and I read multiple. I probably like read or at least scanned like five or six interviews with this guy, and he's just really down to earth and and unassuming. Um, and uh, it's just he kind of just talks about it in a technical way, but but the movie shows us so much more than that. Yeah. And um, he is a very cool dude. Like I, I watched a couple of interviews with him and you're right. He, he does not come off like you would expect him to come off. Oh, this movie almost, I would be like, I would not be surprised if the guy was like real pretentious. Yes. Know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he's uh, just kind of schlubby looking and just, you know, he loves movies and that's why, what he does. And I don't know, one of the many mysteries uh, and amazing mysteries about this movie is how much it does with so little. And and even speaking to the characters, like the character of Red, okay, who Nicolas Cage, who we love so much in this movie, and we love the character. We're not given a ton of a backstory. There are things that take place in this movie that would require a certain amount of um a physical skill or strength or training. And there's only the subtlest um, indications of where that might've come from for him. Like when he goes to visit a buddy of his, who he seems to be pretty close with and have a history with that buddy is wearing like a field jacket, like a military jacket. So there's some implication that he might have military experience. Um, There is, uh, you know, we should say that's Bill Duke from, Oh yeah. I mean, of Many films, but he'll always be in Predator to me. So, uh, or Commando for that matter. Um, the, oh, the guy, right. the, the guy that says I eat bring green berets for. Bre- oh no, the green beret who Schwarzenegger says I eat green berets for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, that's who he fights. Um, no, so, uh, incredible presence. I mean, just about as magnetic of a screen presence as you could possibly have. Um, so, but yeah, he's you, so you, there's maybe an implication that that Red has military training. We know that he works outside. He's a logger, you know, chainsaw in hand. So he's he's physical on a day to day basis. But um, but but he seems to be um, he doesn't seem to be a complicated man, um, but he seems to be um, 
kind of like maybe the sort of guy that's gone through something. I've, I've read some things where they say that they think he's a recovering alcoholic. I, I didn't really get a ton of that. Well, there's the, yeah, there's not a lot in the buildup, but there is a part where he goes into the bathroom and there's yeah. like a bottle of vodka in there. So that's indicative of You're hiding the alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we'll have to, Oh God, well, we have to talk about that scene. Yeah, That's a whole, that's a 20 minute. Part right there, <laughs> right, so. It is. <laughs> But um, but yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is that you you're given so little exposition on these characters. But like I said, you know exactly who all of them are. And I'm going to go ahead and say something here as I'm thinking through it, as I'm saying it. I don't think there's a weak performance in this entire film. I think these actors know exactly who they're playing. And even if it's a crazy, wild, non-reality based character, they nail it. There's yes. not a weak performance in the whole thing. 100% agree. Oh, it's amazing. I think um, one of the loggers at the beginning, I was like, I don't know. but <laughs> Right. But no, yeah, you're right. Anyone who has a credit <laughs> in this right. movie is, uh, nails it. Yes. And just to kind of, you know, uh, picture the setting here, um, because it is pretty important to the film. You know, the Pacific Northwest. And so we've got lush yeah. forests. We're back. We've gone full wicker man to Mandy. We've traveled the United States with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yes. We're back in the Pacific Northwest. And it is beautiful. And not only is it beautiful, but like you said, this house that he and Mandy have chosen to live in, um, even to the point where Red is kind of questioning whether or not they should stay there, uh, because it is just very removed from everything. Um, I love I mentioned it to you in a text. I, I love this bedroom that they have that is sort of plexiglass. So like, you know, the the whole quote, quote unquote room around them is just this clear glass uh, floor to ceiling looking out into the forest. So you, you already have this lush setting that maybe people in the Pacific Northwest are used to, but oh, for yeah. the rest of us in the country, it almost has an otherworldly feel in and of itself. Yeah. And it's a house, it's a modest sized house, but as yes, as someone who doesn't, who doesn't know how, you know, we have flat everywhere. So you Coming from our topography and then looking at like the Pacific Northwest, you would just be like, oh, that view must cost $10 million. But I, I don't know. Is it? So, it's so probably so common. You can get a remote piece of land. And yeah, that might not be that have. bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. We don't have anything flat to offer you. Like <laughs> you'll have to deal with this gorgeous cliff, like looking down <laughs> over a river going through a mountain range in a forest. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you love pine trees. Yeah. So, yeah, we have this gorgeous setting and then the movie itself. Now, I I want to I want to capture this and get it out of the way uh, quickly and establish it. One thing that this movie has is an element of I'm not going to call it whimsy in the same way that Wes Anderson is sort of cheeky in his movies um, with like playfulness and almost like a. Oh, gosh, just like a really sort of self-aware, which, by the way, I, I love those movies and yeah. I love all that that whimsy. But this movie uses some non-traditional ways to bring the narrative along, whether it's animation in some parts, whether it's like continued title cards kind of separating chapters within the movie. It's not like this stuff has never been done before. Yeah, it's it was very reminiscent of like heavy metal, of the movie heavy yeah. metal. 
With not, right. Not in its obviously not in its uh, pacing and format, but yeah, or yes, in its format, like the the kind of the world it's built in, its transitions. Those are very heavy metal. Yeah, and speaking of that, and this has the, a rock and roll. There's a thing at the beginning about bury me, listening to rock and roll, which I yeah. do find funny because I I understand the sediment, but. I just would love the troll who's like, well, rock around the clock is technically rock and roll. So here you go for eternity. <laughs> like, that's not what I meant. I meant Zeppelin. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's all. <awesome. laughs> like awesome. rock and roll, it like just encompasses so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could, it could mean a great many things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. No, that's a good point because when, if you're going to come right out of the gate, and make this strong statement about rock and roll and then have a movie that, that doesn't necessarily feature. Yeah. Your one musician does like mamas and papas, like psychedelic. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> kind of, yeah. Psychedelic folk music. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. But I will say this though. Now this is where now the biker the- and the biker gang is metal as fuck. So yes. still no rock. <laughs> What I will say that kind of ties into sort of like rock and roll and the the year that we're that this film takes place in in 1983 is that this movie in the way that it's presented in its visuals actually that 1983 year is perfect for my memory because 1983 would have sort of been the first time that I was watching uh, MTV on a regular basis. So when MTV comes out now, this is going to be hard for younger viewers to, or listeners to, to wrap their mind around, but when cable, cable television is brand new, MTV is brand new. And so you're being shown these um, music videos that are so super stylized that you can't wrap your Midwestern head around it. And and it's not even like now when I look back, like let's just take, for example, the video for dancing with myself uh, by Billy Idol. And there's these sort of like street people that kind of look post-apocalyptic and they're trying to climb up the building and they're dressed in sort of gunny sacks and their makeup is all crazy. And I remember watching that with a babysitter and being like, do these people have parents? Like, (laughs) what are these creatures and where do they come from? Now, those the people playing those roles are just like the the like drama and theater kids from your high school that went to New York and they're they're dancers, <laughs> right? They're Broadway dancers is probably what they are. Um, but at the time, the 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 visions, the the um, the backgrounds, the the characters, the the costumes yeah. that we were introduced to in with the music, it, it like it just added a whole it was a whole new experience of exactly. experiencing music yeah. through visual storytelling. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so when you have instead of just which would be 70s, 60s, 70 footage, it's just going to be standard concert footage. Yeah. But in but when you bring MTV and now you have sort of a creative interpretive look to things um, and MTV was obviously very rock oriented in the beginning, uh, almost completely. And so, yeah, it, it, it fits. It, it's rock and roll in kind of that early 80s way. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I'll say this. It being set in 83 was the one thing that bugged me initially because uh, I learned more about it later about why he did it. But just. Because the world itself is such a, um, the, it is built like a 
like an RPG, like a, like a, almost like a Final Fantasy world where there are not a lot of people. All the people you see are are very well defined. So you have like, you know, your cult people, the you know the you know, four enemy people, the you know this one NPC over here that sells weapons, this NPC over here that sells potions, uh, and then you are the hero and you have your own. You know, you're not you're not uh, dealing. And this is this, I'm talking about old uh, RPGs. Now, of course, new RPGs are like <laughs> these densely populated bullshit worlds and stuff. And they, they're trying too hard now. But yeah, just it's very remote locations. You have very specific goals that you have to meet. Uh, the The world itself is, you know, yes, to me, it looks like the Pacific Northwest, but they're never like, here we are in Vancouver, you know, or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, they never define the location. Um, and so, yes, it's like, there are kind of like weird demonic bikers that just kind of manifested, like, where did they come from? Um, and, and cults and there's an, an element of magic in this world, but it's, it's more drug induced, uh, hallucinogens, uh, than, than actual magic. Um, but there is like a summoning whistle that summons the spiker gang. So my point being it's set in such a broad fantasy world that we recognize then to then just be like, also it was in like at the end of Reagan's first term. And you know, here are the things from 1983 you can apply then in your mind to it. That took me out a little bit. I, what I found out later was that the director, like 1983, like as you're saying was when, like horror to him was like a thing, but he couldn't, he couldn't rent these movies. So he would like look at the box for phantasm and read what it was about or, you know, return of the living dead. And all he would have was that one image and then what he read about it. And then he would create his own, like the, the worlds he created in his mind about what that movie actually looked like or was about. So that, so the year 1983 is very special to him. So I understand that. Um, well, and also along with that, the, and this is very evident in the movie, is that uh, with exactly what you just said about like him sort of discovering horror, he's also quoted as as saying that he was also heavily influenced by the sort of outpouring of fantasy movies that were happening at that time. You had like Conan the Barbarian and you had, you know, um, Legend and you had um Beastmaster. Beastmaster. Yeah. And and they don't really make a ton of those anymore. Like no, that's true. And uh, so the, and, the, and the movie very much as much as it has a horror vibe, it also has that sort of. Um, oh, gosh, what is that? There, he's a famous artist. His name begins with an F and he draws those sort of like heavy metal, like fantasy Oh God! It's an Italian last name. I don't know, but I know what you're you talking know. About. Yeah, it kind of has that feel. But but you're you're right. It's like um, part of what this movie does so well is that it breaks some genre rules um, as far as the melding of genres that isn't typical. Like if you have a love story, you typically aren't going to have a movie that also heavily has to do with LSD. Or if you do have a movie about LSD, it's going to be all about that. Or if you have a movie about 
crazy, you know, post-apocalyptic bikers. It's going to be only about that. And how could you have a love story with that? But he he weaves it all together. And and at no point are you like, well, that's just stupid or that's just ridiculous or this movie's going off the rails. It it I think it creates a freedom right away to where you accept whatever comes. Yeah, I'm more intrigued than put off by it. Right. Exactly. Uh, cause yeah, these, so yeah, we should, <clears throat> so yeah, we have the beginning of the movie where man, it's just kind of establishes their relationship. We've talked about that. So there is a one, and we should say that this movie is, uh, I don't, I don't remember if we talked about this now or before we started recording, but th- this movie's set up in chapters and it's got, uh, just gorgeous, like chapter title cards, uh, this movie is essentially set up in three chapters. The first chapter is the setting um, and it's on crystal Lake, which I believe is a little nod to the Friday series. Um, but it, so each chapter kind of introduces each thing. So the first chapter is establishing their relationship. And so at the end of that chapter, Mandy is uh, walking down the road and there's this van driving by it. And it's just kind of full of, some weird people. Uh, one, the guy in the passenger seat is just kind of like slumped over. He looks very tired. And as they're approaching, they, they see Mandy and he just kind of catches eyes with Mandy. And as they pass, you just kind of get this nice freeze frame. Also, I, I think we've talked about just like the unique lighting. Maybe we haven't talked about it yet. The lighting in this movie is incredible and, or, or at least the lighting effects they use, or they'll like wash a scene in a certain color. So in this scene, you see Mandy coming and she's completely washed in red. Uh, so it's a sense of Mandy carries red with her wherever she goes. Right. So as she's walking down the road and now this, this Jeremiah Swan sand sees her, and so as it passes by that is, you get a freeze frame on her and that's like the end of chapter one. So the end of, so the in chapter two is called Dawn of the Oh shit. Dawn of uh Children of the Children of the New Dawn. Thank you. Oh yeah. Um so now we're introduced to this cult, and you've got Jeremiah Sand, and he's got a handful of followers. You've got his like right-hand man who is brother Swan, who is, I, the, I love this cult because they look like normal people. I mean, some of them look like the roles you would think in a cult. There is like the young demure girl who's probably, you know, who's probably the baby maker or whatever. And the older woman who runs everything, but like his right hand man looks like a manager at a target. he just looks like a kind of average 50 year old dude with the receding hairline uh he's he's menacing like he he doesn't he'll do bad things but it's weird like i don't feel intimidated by him right i also know he's not gonna hold back yeah and and that's just i i wrote like a, a note down somewhere um I wrote, I love how lame the cult is. <laughs> shitty van, shitty music, douchey leader. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so funny about this. Like, of course, it's like six people. Right. And it's so, so they're really kind of like a low rent Manson family. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities there because he's a failed musician, just like uh, Charlie Manson was. Um, 
but supposedly kind of, um, you know, energetic and manipulative and can bring these people into uh, to his thoughts and beliefs. But at least Manson had like his cult was all like young, good looking people, you know, guys and girls. Yeah. Um, and he, Charlie uh, himself is it's kind of a really interesting guy to, to, to listen to. Um, like he's very expressive and, and um, I mean, he comes off not like the greatest person in the world, but right. he's, he's interesting, but this guy just comes off as so just weak, but self-obsessed oh. and he's, he's just fucking moping nonstop. Yeah. He's just, it, a, he, just our first shot of him in the car. He's like slouched over. Then the next shot is him like laying in a bed, like going to brother Swan, like you gotta go get that girl for me, please. Yeah. Just such a pussy. <laughs> I mean, he just is like, he's just, but that's what I love about it. Like they drive, you know, it's not like they have millions and millions of dollars and they all drive fancy cars. It's just a shitty conversion van, you know, <laughs> yeah. like one other car, ha a couple of the people in the, in the cult just look like, I don't even know if they're all there mentally. Like, you know, it's just, it's kind of funny to me how exalted they see themselves, but just how really shitty they are. Yeah. Uh, there's the fat dude who looks like <laughs> he sticks out like a sore thumb, which yeah. I'm sure is intentional because he gets sacrificed because in order to, because Swan want, or um, <clears throat> Jeremiah wants brother Swan to get Mandy because he he's like I he he is an insane narcissist like he yeah. does believe this stuff and he's just like I want it and so I get it go get it for me uh and brother swan's like i could get the help of the black skulls or or no i think uh sand jeremiah is like do you have the the uh, ocarina or whatever right it's like a whistle it's like a whistle yeah that it's like it's like a shell whistle mm -hmm. yeah uh you know and he's like serve up the new guy as a as an offering you know and it's this right. blonde fat kid um so yeah so now it's like we've so they go to Mandy and Red's house and he does, he blows the shell and it summons these bikers from wherever. Like, so now we've got this weird mystic magic element that I don't mind. Cause it's not over explained. It's just like, yeah, that's what happens here. Cause I haven't told you that I'm in Olympia, Washington. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where or when this is. So sure. Why not? Right. And we thing? and we do get a little bit of an explanation as to where they come from. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a little bit later. A little bit on. about how the the group itself, but not about how the whistle summoned them. Yeah. How they, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. That there's yeah, there's some that and that like you said, there's not necessarily uh uh, a lot of magic in this movie, but like you said, there's elements of it that feel sort of mystical and magical. And that's yeah. one of them to be summoned by somehow they're like, you know, a mile away, but they can hear this shell whistle and then all come and, you know, to carry out this duty, but need a blood sacrifice. Um, yeah. It's, it's very yeah. mystical. Well, first he's, he drinks. Cause I, so there's a, this, underlying and, and they never really go into it that much but there's a lot of lsd use in this movie but not in your conventional lsd usage like because that's what he gives him in the jar right it's a jar i think so yeah a jar of lsd and this <laughs> head biker chugs it you know and he's like also blood for blood and he's like all right you got to do the job first but the when these bikers show up they are your just a 
really nice but unique looking standard demonic bike gang. Like I'm like, oh, it's weird science. Like weird science is happening. Yeah. Like they look like those guys. Like One guy's just like made of nails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mad Max shit. Um and, and their did, name. Had, did you look at the names of yes. the <laughs> Yeah, I did. I was just gonna read them. Okay, go for it. Go for it. You've got scratch, yeah, scabs, yep. and of course, fuck pig. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> oh yeah. You no, know that guy's like, but, mom, but mom, but you'll never guess my new part. <laughs> Yeah. What are you going to be for Halloween this year? <laughs> Mom, give me the fuck pig one. Yeah. I went out as fuck pig and no one knew who I was. <laughs> yeah. I oh. told you you should have gone as scabs. <laughs> yeah, they're all out of fuck pig. I had to go with scabs. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yes, they, they but here's the thing about this. Like they are, I mean, they're super stylized. They're super, you know, just out of the blue, but they are with the like, there's a sort of like robotic modulation to when they're when they do talk yes. and they do look scary. I mean, they they look like you would not want to run into these people to save your life. And especially when we're given an explanation of who they are and what they're into, that makes them even more frightening beyond that. Yeah, because. Um, also that he chugs a jar of this LSD, which we see later, Nicholas cage, like puts a dab on his tongue and that like strips him of his humanity. So it's like, just what does chugging a jar of this thing do? Yes. Yeah. And, um, just, I, I have to just get it out because I know you're the same way when you have actors in movies that you literally just cannot stand that, whether it's their face or how they are, there's the one character named, uh, he's one of the, uh, Oh, it's brother oh, Hanker. Yes. And he looks the rat like face guy. Yeah. He looks like a mix between Andy Samberg and the young guy in the Klopek family from the Burbs. Like if you put those <laughs> two people together, he's just got this he like does. dumbass expression on his face all the time. This sort of vacant look. And he just, oh, I just hate to look at him. Yeah. He's always but smiling yeah. like uh, he knows he has more privilege than you know he should have. Like, right. Yes. This guy should not be as happy as he is because no. fucking look at him. Right. But yeah, so that's our first. But it's cool, though. I'm glad that we get introduced to the bike gang before we really know who they are. Not that it makes it that much better once we do. But but it's kind of cool that they're just kind of there, like yeah. you said. And they come in and grab them in in their sleep. Um which is kind of traumatizing. You know, they don't get to say much to each other. They just share a look because they fucking love each other so much. There is an awesome shot then, because this is all done under this awesome score by Johan Johansson. This was his last score before he passed. Uh, he does a lot of like synth and like metal mixing kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the score is amazing in this movie. But so, you you know, you've got this like this dark music. They're tying these two up. And then you just have this shot of like the fat guy watching from a window and just these two hands come and grab him and just the look on his face like, oh, no. And it just drags him into the dark. Like, it's <laughs> yes. so good. Oh, it's great. But yeah, it's it's terrifying because it's like when if again, like I was saying, if it was just this cult that was going after 
uh, Red and Mandy, it would still be, you know, it would get the the point across. But to know that that now these guys are going to get them, it feels it fills you with the feeling that, OK, there's there's no getting away from this. Like these crazy ass who knows what they are. Mutants are, you know, going to get them. And like you said, attacking them and while they're sleeping, there's just there's no chance of escape whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. They are powerless. Yes. And yeah, so they kidnap them both. We don't really see what happens to Nick Cage, but we we see Mandy. She kind of wakes up in their shitty cult house. She's in the kitchen and, you know, I'm, and you get the feeling this has probably been done before. There seems to be a routine going on where the house mother is like softening her up and telling her about, you know, what's going to happen and how great Jeremiah is. And then she drugs her. Uh, that she gets a giant wasp out of a jar, which you think is just like, oh, there's a deadly wasp. And then when you see it in perspective with another person, you're like, it's the size of your face. Like, right. Yes. Yeah. So this is not a real wasp that exists. So it's another where it's like, where'd this monster? Like, this is literally a monster now in this movie. Right. Um, and the fact that they have to, what they're doing here is just to continue on like the facade of Jeremiah being anything special is that they, they am sure it's through his instruction. They want to dose her first. They want to take Mandy and get her into a state of seeing things as much more or different than they are before she is presented to him. Yeah. So that it's not even like, he, it's almost like he knows that he's just not that impressive, you know, in person. Exactly. So let's, so let's get her frying balls on acid yeah. first and then present me in this sort of godlike way. He's an even worse example of like the guy who just waits for the girl to get drunk at the bar. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. he's even worse. Like, I even drinking doesn't work. I have to uh sting you with this monster hornet and like the, <laughs> right. the eye dropper although props to the the house mother uh who was mother Mar mother marlene because she like puts a drop in mandy's eye and then just like takes the rest of that eye dropper right yeah gives mouth. a little lick for herself <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah so he he yeah, they have to do this whole process to present her to him. Everyone is just kind of lounging in the room in this kind of like it's like a shitty Caligula kind of thing where everyone's just kind of lounging. They're probably all fucked up or whatever. Right. And he's got this whole process. He puts on his psychedelic folk music and does. And this is like one of those awesome moments where it's like it's like when you read a play and there's just like one part where one character does a three and a half page monologue. Yes. You're just like, wow, what a bold thing to happen right here. And he does, man. He just does this whole fucking monologue right in the camera, like just his face. Then they start like kind of morphing her face with his, with some overlays and it goes back and forth. So you're kind of tripping out a little bit while you're yeah. watching it. Um, really good representation of of hallucinogens, whether whether you've ever done any or not. And they do it so subtly that when you when they first start to work in that overlay of her face over his face, you almost don't even recognize it. And then you're like, am I seeing something weird? And <laughs> yeah. then you realize that it becomes her. His face has now become her face. And, you know, LSD or, or hallucinogens have been 
you know, represented in, in movies to varying levels of success, you know, for a long time, but, and accuracy. Yeah, (laughs) but they do, they do a really fine job of whether it's any specific hallucinogen, which, you know, they do actually cite LSD, but I mean, it's an, they get the point across that obviously there is some sort of hallucinogenic state happening. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is done well. It, uh, the, you know, when people take LSD in a movie and then see like uh, cartoon birds like that, that does not happen like that. <laughs> we're not like it's, when people it's, say hallucinations. It's not like, oh, when you're in the desert and hallucinate, you know, it's right. like things move. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, they, but yeah, so they, they kind of, and it's really, they, there's just a nice use of that color saturation that we see throughout this entire movie. And um, so, yeah, it, it gets that, that point across. And he thinks, you know, as he's giving this monologue, like you're describing, he thinks that he's just blowing her mind. Yeah. And so, so much when, to where we finally get some dick. Yes. Yeah. And he gives some full he opens the robe up and just presents himself. And we just get full dick for like a minute, like Bravo yeah. movie. And then Mandy just gives what could only be the worst reaction to what he thinks that he's just served himself up in his mind. He thinks that she is seeing him as some like rays of light shooting out from him, some Christ-like creature. And then she just straight up laughs at him in ridicule. Yeah. And uh, and it's hysterical. And you're so like, good. fuck yeah, Mandy. Yeah. Cause and cause the laughing gets like it's so hard and like it's a laugh to where she knows how much she's hurting him by laughing. So it's a, right. Like it turns into this mean laugh and he's like yelling at everyone like, don't look at me. Stop looking at me. Like she's, she has just fucking decimated him. Yes. Unfortunately, he still holds a lot of the power. Right. So that leads to the very sad scene where now we see Nick Cage is alive. They pull him out. They tie him up outside and they bring Mandy out in a sack and very unceremoniously just burn her alive. Right. And, and it's, they, it's done very well on several parts. So Mandy is in the sack and um, it's probably not the hardest uh uh, special effect to pull off but as the bag is burning we really do see some like flailing within the bag mm-hmm. that just you know uh, for all of the types of death that there are, is out there burning is awful <sighs> if, if you've the thing, about, a thing about a burn is that it never stops hurting <laughs> I, I i burnt myself on an espresso machine one time and i literally spent the rest of the day i was working the espresso machine and i just had to stick my thumb in water while i was taking people's orders like just it had to be submerged oh. the second that i took it out it would it was like it was on fire again yeah and so yeah burning is about as bad as it gets and you see this gunny sack which is now she's sort of hung upside down from a tree she's on fire now here's where I think one of the absolute best decisions is made by the director. And it's the kind of decision that was not handled properly by the director of, let's say, Color Out of Space, which we covered last week. Um, Nicolas Cage 
is going through a tremendous amount of agony as he's being forced to watch this. He's got this barbed wire holding oh, yeah. his, you know, through his mouth. So it's like he's gagged with barbed wire. His, you know, his hands are are bound in uh, above his head. He's he's basically, you know, helpless, completely helpless, having to watch this happen. And the thing is, you think about that moment and you're like, you can't look away right? Because this is the one person that you love more than anything. And it's their final moments on earth. So you can't not look at them because you want to be there with them in that moment. But yet it's so horrible. And what the director did was he just turned down the volume. He did not. You can tell that that cage is probably wailing or screaming or making whatever sounds he can make weeping with that barbed wire in his mouth. But we don't hear any of it. We just see his face. We just see the reaction. And that is reigning in the cage rage that is tempering it in the right way so that you get that power of emotion. But it's not overwhelming the scene and it's so much more powerful that way plus he lets him do it 10 minutes later oh yeah oh yeah yeah i mean because you can only cap that for so long i mean that bottle's gonna blow at some point and does it ever in the most perfect way can't wait to talk about that scene too well let's get into it because they leave him there they leave him tied up they leave he you know pulls his hands through his restraints in a disgusting did you ever see gerald's game I never saw it. Okay. No. It's actually not bad. There's an even more graphic image of that. Of some, oh, like, with the degloving? Yes. They call that degloving? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, um, yeah. So he pulls himself out. There's this just horrible image of like, he opens the bag and her just charred skull is there. And then it just like breaks away into dust. Like, yeah, nothing left. No coming back from this no. one. Uh, I don't care what kind of whistle you've got. Um, so he goes into the house, right? And like, this is when it's all hitting him. And we have this shot, which it it's weird. It almost feels out of place only because it's so unique to the rest of the movie. Um, so like through this movie, we have so many scenes that are just washed with color, right? Like as she's walking down the road, it's all washed in red as you know, uh, Jeremiah was giving his speech. He's under this kind of pink light. He goes into this bathroom and we have another like solid color, but it's not washed. It's like, it's like an unfiltered, the scene itself light wise is unfiltered. And I think Nicholas cage is unfiltered in this scene. As yes. well. Like it's a, and it's all one take, but it's just like this orange bathroom. So it, it sets out the aesthetic of the movie of these solid colors, but it's just the color of the bathroom itself. It's like so much orange and yeah, he goes in, he, this is where he's been hiding his vodka. He, and so he's just going through the process of cleaning his physical wounds and tending to his mental wounds. Cause he's pouring it on his wounds and then taking a big swig pouring it on another cut, taking a big swig. Now I'm going to scream a little bit. Now I take another swig. And it just keeps building and building. And he finally just sits down on the toilet. And this is mega rage, rage cage. There's like one half second where it's like, eh, but the rest is, I think just pure excellence, pure emotion. 
to where to the point where because it's kind of you see the camera kind of zooming in on him and then it kind of backs off a little bit and then comes back in and i really feel like that was the cameraman like i'm not sure what he's gonna do i'm gonna just back up a little bit here like he could thrash out at any second here you know i know Um, what happened in that moment oh you do oh what happened they hit a towel (laughs) for real for real and they kept it in yes they (laughs) they literally they hit a hand towel and had to like and then like somebody had to rip it off you rip it away and then they could keep going but they just kept it because they kind of liked that sort of like tentative feel like can we get close to this guy that's how it felt and it's perfect it's so great everything that you described is is to a t exactly right and but it's the little things that he's doing Vodka, if you, if you drink vodka in, in any sort of excess, it, it can burn your throat. And there's these moments where he's actually grabbing his throat, yeah. like kind of like I'm going to sort of grab my throat and, and steady it so that I can get past the burn because I have to keep drinking it. Now, what's really cool is they did this. They shot this twice, one for rehearsal. And um, the director gave just a couple minimal notes and then they did it, it all in one take the second time. And, and that was the shot. The beauty of it is, is the director said that he really wanted this to, to come across. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you said that it the scene in some ways seems a little out of place or kind of standalone. But that's exactly what he was looking for. He said he wanted a like one man, like four minute play. It like seems a complete, like, yeah, that's, it a, seems like a dollhouse cutout. Like yeah. just like a like a built separate room. It's really weird. Yeah. And he wanted it to co- almost come across as if it was like an entire stage play, but just five minutes long, okay. you know, just to tell the story, because we see him go through. You can kind of measure what he's going through. It's not just random screaming. Part of it feels like anger and part of it feels like I guess it probably starts with just shock screaming. Then it goes to anger screaming. Then it goes to sadness. And then it goes to like, I'm going to fucking kill those people. And yeah. you see him clearly go acceptance. Yeah. All the, all the stages of grief. He does. He just cycles through it. And, and all the time he's got this tidy whitey underwear with this tiger face, like sort of baseball shirt, you know, baseball cut shirt. And uh, it is like, this scene is funny, heartbreaking, and just in your face and perfect it all at the same time. And, um, and especially like the screaming, it's like um, my favorite part of the screams are the, these ones that I don't know if I can recreate it, but where he's like, ah, ah. Oh, like it's, see, it's that's like, my one second where I'm like, okay, that's just like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. It does. Feel ah. <laughs> yeah. Where he's kind of like pulling back, like pulling up on yes. the scream at the end. Yes. But it also feels like he delivers lines like that. Yeah. Cause in you're, other you're right. movies. So you're yeah. right. But it's almost kind of but like that is such a minimum. It's like oh, what a yeah. complaint. I, I I have to find something. But right. But it's so good. And you're right. The colors are it kind of reminds me of like what you would picture like um like a Stanley Kubrick 70s bathroom would look yes. like, sort of. Yeah, with very those, Kubrick. Yeah, oranges, the browns, the tans. And uh, but it's just a scene and we can't not talk about the scene that comes right before it, of course, uh, not to take anything oh, away from Jesus. this scene. Yes. But when Cage... I was thinking this happened later, but yes, go. <laughs> when Cage comes into the house before he gets to the bathroom, the TV is on and it's a commercial. 
and it's uh, it it's done so perfectly um but it, it that it almost looks as if was this a real thing that's like what i the, thought halfway through yeah and the then pre- it gets to a point in the commercial where you're like oh no this was never real <laughs> Right. Where like it looks like a regular like 1980s, um, you know, kids food commercial um, with like kind of a mac and cheese commercial. Yeah, it's for macaroni and cheese. And the character is, you know, this it's called the Cheddar Goblin. And um, so it starts off kind of normal enough. But then by the end of it, you've got the Cheddar Goblin like vomiting, like mass amounts of macaroni and cheese over these kids heads who are loving it. Yeah, they're laughing. Yeah. And it's it's just so funny. And the thing is, Nicolas Cage is in complete shock. So all he can say is Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just does well, And the last it- shot of that ad, too, is like then so creepy because it's like the Cheddar Goblin coming out of like a big pot of mac and cheese. But then it just lingers on it. And it's yeah. like just staring at you for like seven (laughs) seconds. And I had just discovered right before we started recording um, that the director of that segment, the regular director of Mandy didn't direct that segment. He had a whole different production crew do the cheddar goblin scene. And it was the same guy uh, that did the, uh, what would you call that? A a short? Yeah. It's just a short, a one-off. And it's too many cooks. And it was something that you and a couple other of our mutual friends couldn't believe that I had not seen before. (laughs) And it's just this absurdist thing that I I won't go into explaining that. But if if you've seen too many cooks and then you see the Cheddar Goblin segment, it makes perfect sense that they came from the same mind. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen too many cooks, check out too many cooks. Yeah. It's it's like 10 minutes long, but it's worth it. Yes. Um, But. Yeah, like, I can't believe I forgot. But that's it. Yeah, we get through that amazing bathroom scene. And this is where a lot of folks, when they write about this movie, uh, and the director admits it too. He said he didn't really set out to do this, but uh, you it's not incorrect to say that Mandy is is very much two movies. And I feel like that's sort of the end of what you could consider like the first half, because now it just becomes full revenge style and almost becomes more of a like an 80s action movie in in a way yeah yeah because the next scene is when he goes to um uh, uh what's his name um bill brothers yeah. yeah and it's like the most i get maybe like the very beginning where he's logging and he's like having a smoke and riding a helicopter like that's like the most reality based part but this as, as far as a scene in the movie, this feels the most in reality. He's just going to a dude's remote Winnebago. Yeah. And there's friend, nothing special house, about yeah. it. Yeah. He's just going to a friend's house, but his friend has his crossbow named Reaper and he's come for it. And he, and he tells him all about the bikers that came and the evil. He's like, he's like the only way he could really describe it was he's like, they were just evil, like just pure evil. And he's like, Oh, the black skulls shit yeah you're gonna need something more than that crossbow buddy (laughs) right and he goes on to explain how the the black skulls were a biker gang that were like uh couriers for um an lsd operation and then the guy that was making the lsd you know kind of you know got they rubbed him the wrong way so he cooked up a special batch and it basically drove them crazy and turned them into these sort of sadomasochistic pain loving you know, pain dishing out just 
killer squad, like just a death squad. Yeah. Like if Hellraiser were awesome. <laughs> and with motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they should have been like. On so God many sake. episodes without ripping on Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, that's uh, they, so we get uh, not a, a super detailed explanation, but enough for us to be like, oh, yeah, OK, now that. Yeah, that's where they came from. So it gives a little bit of a history on the, the bike gang. And um, so he's like, and, you need more than that crossbow. Oh, yeah. So Nicolas Cage is like, well, it's a good thing. I'm also an accomplished metal worker. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and he, he forges. It's badass. An axe, which I found out later was called the beast. <clears throat> now. I thought because, <clears throat> excuse me, because when he holds up this axe, yeah, it's so awesome. It's like it's got a grip with almost within the blade instead of like holding the base of the head of the blade like you would a normal axe. You like grip the inside of the blade and then the base, but the base also has like a dagger. In it. So like the end of the, uh, 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 what do you call the thing that holds the axe? Oh, like the handle? <laughs> handle, thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, the end of the handle also has like a blade on it. It looks badass. And he's like holding that up. End of chapter two. Then we hit chapter three, which is Mandy, which is written in this awesome electric looking font. And then it just like spreads out like a fractal and like veins. Super. Yeah, cool. it, it's written. It's written in a font that looks really similar to the band Celtic Frost. And that's it's the shape of that weapon that he makes is the shape of the F that Celtic Frost uses oh, when they spell okay. their name. Well, so, okay. so even more relationship between the two. So, yes, when I yeah. read that the axe was called the beast, I was like, why? Right. I, mean, I yeah. thought it was super cool that if the axe was named Mandy, why wouldn't it be? But it's not. But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's another little metal connection. Cool there. looking axe, though. Yeah. Very cool shiny silver just shiny. fucking but not like the most memorable thing from this movie which is weird like it's not not really it's not iconic yeah. in any way from it um yeah it's just like a thing he uses which is cool but i don't walk away being like wait till you see the axe right yeah no you're right you're right yeah uh which i think is a testament to how good the movie yeah. is it doesn't rely on fucking cheap ass weapon right uh, so yeah, so now he and I this I love because he's like, okay, time for revenge. So he's like hunting down this bike gang, right? Uh, and so there's one shot where he's like watching them all drive down the road, and he's like, ah, there's a straggler. He hits him with Reaper. Uh, he goes to then like confront the guy and then is immediately hit by one of the other bikers and is captured. <laughs> like you think it's going to be this slow thing where he's like picking off these bikers one by one. No, he's fucking immediately captured. Yes. Which I did not expect. Um, but he wakes up in this house now. And here's just another weird thing because the upstairs of this house that we see looks like a very basic ranch house. Uh, just a very generic setup. Now the basement of it has a pit in it, like a yes. nice finished basement with another pit under that, <laughs> uh, which is a uh, weird. And you see the pit first. So almost the more jarring thing is when you get upstairs and you're like, Oh, it's a normal house. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, but, but they've he, got a porn playing in the background. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, he, he fights one of the dudes down there. I don't know. I don't know which 
of these guys is which, right? I don't know which one is scratch and scabs and pig fuck. <laughs> right. Um, but one has like this see-through like mask on. And he's kind of wiry. He's the one he fights down there and he throws him into the pit, right? Yeah. Oh, I should set up. So the guy comes over and he says something about killing Mandy and then he and he cuts Nicholas Cage and he's like, that was my favorite shirt. <laughs> yeah. Which unexpected line. Yeah. 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 Because he does not talk a lot in this movie. He does right. not have a lot of lines. So it's like the just him saying that you're like, okay. Um, so he makes his way upstairs. He fights another one of the bikers there who seems this you're like, Oh, these guys seem to have like a superhuman strength. Cause there's still kind of this, are they demonic? What is right. the deal with these bikers? This one seems a little demonic. Um, and he, how does he fucking kill this guy? He falls on. Yeah. He falls on something, which then makes that, that second biker like vomit a, oh. a massive amount of blood. No, all... he doesn't. He, he cuts him in his, he slices his throat yeah. while he's on top of him. That's right. Which yeah. then covers Nick Cage's face in blood, which is a look throughout the rest of the movie now that he that he has. And it's a it, it's a great choice by the director because it's it, just going all the way back to Carrie, like the movie Carrie. You know, it's a horrible, terrible, awful, sad thing that happens to Carrie that that prank gets pulled and the pig's blood is is poured onto her. But thank God it does because she looks so. Freaking badass when mm-hmm. she's covered in blood. There's nothing like being covered head to toe in blood to make you look like a badass. Yeah. And yeah, Nicolas Cage wears and it dried well. blood. It's dried blood because it's like it's been there and I've not removed it. Right. Right. <laughs> I want it there. And, and the beautiful part is like for all this, uh, for all the LSD talk, um, immediately upon killing this second biker, he just happens to see this like. <laughs> big pretty big size shard of glass that has like a mountain of cocaine on it and just lifts it up just for the hell of it yes fucking throws his face into it takes a big giant like 10 second snort of cocaine yeah uh yeah so he is getting juiced up yeah and here's where so the guy he threw in the pit now has made his way back upstairs I will say I had to turn on the subtitles for this part because I had to see what he's saying because he fights. He's fighting this guy and he yells something at him. Now, when I turn on the subtitles, what he says is you ripped my shirt. Yeah. But in total Nick Cage, the way he delivers a line, it's super weird. And he says, you ripped my shirt. You ripped my shirt. (laughs) And I thought he was saying, which also to my defense, sounds like a total Nick Cage line. Him going, you're in my shit. <laughs> but he's saying you're in my shit. Um, yeah, you you ripped my, but you know what's kind of funny about that? The way that even though, I'm so glad that you remembered that line. Because it's kind of like if you ever imagine getting attacked by somebody in your house or like home invasion. It's almost like, I, I think what I would do is just try to be fucking crazier than they are right. like just like i'm gonna use my fear and just throw it right back at you and uh, it, that's how exactly how he delivers that line yeah yeah it's great so he takes out that guy and now i, I would i'm guessing the last guy's pig fuck they're saving pig fuck for last you yeah know, you got to fuck pig sorry fuck pig oh fuck pig yeah <laughs> uh, let's please honor the fuck pig um and now, now here's the point where you're like 
all right, these guys might be demons because he shoots this guy in the throat with Reaper with these uh, arrows that uh, that his buddy has Crothers has made that he says will go through bone like a fat kid goes through cake. Yes. So, you know, it's going through it. Probably going to scrape this, the frosting off, though. But anyway, it uh, it this thing goes through his throat and he pulls it out the front way like he just pulls it all the way out and then has a full on fight with Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh, to which then he ends up burning to death because he's just standing in front. That's how demonic this biker is. He's got some downtime. What's he going to do? Just stand in front of a flaming car, like a junk car that's on fire. He's like, I'm just going to stand here, I guess, for a while. <laughs> Which I would, what's crazy is the first time I watched this movie, it feels like, especially if you're uh, like me and are viewing this movie in some sort of video game sense, where like the demon bikers seem like the end boss. Like yeah. they seem like the harder ones to get by. He goes through them with relative. I mean, he goes through everyone with relative ease. I should say like the fight with fuck pig is like the hardest fight he has. Yeah. Maybe and the chainsaw one, maybe the chainsaw one. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and but the, the feeling that you're starting to get at this point in the movie through, you know, he's just, you know, hoovered up a, a nice big mountain of blow. He uh, is taking a, t- a taste of oh, their. I, yeah, I mentioned that earlier, but yeah, he does. He takes a little bit and it just like you see his face melt off. So yeah. I think that's just it's just supposed to be that's the last bit of him is gone. He's now full on drug fueled revenge machine. Yeah, and it's almost like he has become one of them to beat them. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's I don't want to overstate that like now he's a demonic robot voiced biker, but it's like he has he's fighting fire with fire now. Yeah. And this uh, is also it's also important to to mention even though we we threw out a couple of those great lines in that scene. It really is where in this sort of second half or or sort of second movie within Mandy that the movie almost becomes a silent film. I mean, it's just this side of a silent film, a very little dialogue, um, very action based, very visually based. um, And that is cool. Like, Mm -hmm. it's great that they don't muddy it up. There's so much neat stuff to look at and see that we don't need a lot of like bullshit exposition for for what i mean we've already gone down the rabbit hole this far we're into it now let's just see where this shit takes us yeah so yeah it it becomes almost virtually without dialogue yeah they yeah they say no to exposition so much where they're just like you kind of get a flash he gets a flash of a vision of where he needs to go next and then it's just like well that's where he's going next because he ends up at this at the camp they call him the chemist and I, he's the guy who's made the demon LSD, right? I mean, that's why. Yeah, he makes. Yeah, he's he's somehow he's connected. He's familiar with the uh, the cult. He's familiar with the black skulls. Now, what I want to say about this scene, there's several cool things, and I'm going to make this is my bold claim. While many directors have tried to mimic Kubrick. And his style in films ever since Stanley Kubrick started making movies. This to me is the probably the closest that I've ever seen to somebody achieving Kubrick level um, aesthetics because it's the, the scene is very odd in many different ways. The way that it's it's shot, 
we get these sort of sequential lights overhead, like in the ceiling. Um, it feels sort of antiseptic. Well, you know, there's no word for Kubrick, but other than like sort of like a minimalist weird. Yes. Like he did weird, but in this sort of antiseptic. Uh, antiseptic is a great word. Yeah. And so what's so funny about this is that we almost because red has no dialogue, but there is exchanges. There are exchanges in this scene. It's almost like this chemist has done so much acid that he can just read people's <laughs> minds without them having to say anything and respond, you know, in kind. And um, it's it's a very strange, different scene it, with its very own flavor, but it is super cool yeah because yeah you you leave the scene not not really understanding what happened but not worried about not understanding you know because, because here's what that how that scene would go in 99.9 percent other revenge movies it would be Nicholas Cage walks in, he roughs up the guy that he wants information from, the guy finally gives up information, and then he continues on. That's right. how that scene is normally handled. Yeah. But uh, in this version, they just decided, let's get weird with it. Let's get let's get creepy. So what's the bit with the tiger when they just let the tiger go? Is that just another drug thing where he's like, oh, I guess I have to let the tiger go. I th oh no! You it'd be because it's the telepathy. Now here's what okay. happens. So the the chemist says that he can always tell when he's made a good batch when yeah. Lizzie the tiger is docile, and then it's silent. The chemist is reading his thoughts of of Nicholas Cage <sighs> saying that's a really shitty thing to do to that tiger, and then that's when he goes, "You're right. That's really bad." Okay. And then he opens up the cage. A lot more sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's this weird telepathic, like awesome scene. A hundred percent makes uh, sense now. And I don't know yeah. why I didn't realize that when I watched it. Okay. It's, yeah. It's not obvious, but it's just uh, upon like, I think it's just that days. scene because it is, it's literally just a flash that he sees. Like no one's like, go seek the chemist and he'll send you right. on the next spot. You know, he just shows up there. And so <laughs> right. you're just trying to catch up as to what's happening, but yeah. But it's a it's a fun little quirky scene. Just in yeah, yeah, that for, guy gets a great performance. That's yeah, um, Richard Richard Brake. Yes, Which I and uh, anything else, Dick Brake. Yes, he was Joe Chill in Batman Begins. So if you remember that the bit part there, hmm. yeah. But he's he's very cool. He's got that and it, that you know that thing with uh, Kubrick too. As far as timing goes, he was never in a big hurry. In any scene, <laughs> like right. he would just let it go as long as it needed to go. And that's how this scene almost feels like it's 15 minutes long, but in a cool way. Yeah. But it's just because it's very, um, just very specific. Deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that and and here's another part that just feeds into my video game uh, world building that they've made. where Because when he just says like. This will, you have to go north. Like it's north. Like it's so non-specific, but in this type of world, like I completely understand some advert, you know, what adversities he's going to run into, you know, like what, just what that entails. Yeah. Like I don't think, well, he's in Florida and he's going north to Georgia, you know, like. <laughs> right. North is, it's going to be harsher. It's going to be colder. Not that he like runs into like a snowstorm and has to traverse it, but you know, 
where he's going is more treacherous than where he is now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. Like that, that's it. That's an element that I would, because I, I don't really do any gaming like that doesn't register with me, but it's cool that like you just kind of instinctually know what that means. Like what, what's, what's being said there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he goes North. Yep. And he finds the cult. Cause he doesn't, he just goes there, right? He doesn't. Well, first we have the, um, the battle. He's got to get rid of uh, brother Swan. Um, oh yeah. Right, right, right. Cause he, he encounters some of the, you know, the members of the cult. Yes. And um, yeah. And uh, then I believe it's, yeah. He, he lets just, the girl go. He lets her go. Sis. Yes. Yeah. He's seen a little too sis, much. Sis and brother Swan are driving. And I think he shoots out the tire in yeah. the van. So a swan gets out to change it. Nick Cage rams the knife part of the handle right into his mouth. Yeah. And probably the most straight, like that's just like a straight up like slasher movie. Yes. And it's great too, because that brother Swan is probably, I don't know for like you said, I mean, granted, even though he's our, you know, target manager, (laughs) he does say some of the most like hateful things. Oh yeah. And he facilitates every bad thing. Yeah, so it's kind of perfect, and you feel justified that he gets a really gnarly death right in the mouth, like yeah. right from the source of all that nastiness that he says about Mandy. Just and it, it's like just when you think Nicolas Cage has shoved the weapon in as far as it'll go, he's got another like two more shoves after that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're right. That's that's a legit like Friday the Thirteenth kill. Yeah. Uh, he lets Cisco. Um, he ends up hitting the punchable face guy. <laughs> He just kind of gets a we get a cool axe thrown at yeah. them. But then we like we've saved all the good fight because there's one guy who you don't even notice is really ripped or anything when you see him before. Yeah. Just kind of now you're like, oh, they had a muscle guy. OK, right. Um, And it's funny, like it's this is a great funny. Image or scene where just Nicholas Cage is coming around the corner and he's trying to start this chainsaw up. He's just like, I'm just going to kill you with this chainsaw as soon as I get it started up. And the guy's just kind of watching him and he slowly stands up and you see him pick something off the ground and you can see it's a chainsaw. And then he just keeps pulling like this fucking blade is six times as long as one. Like this is to cut down sequoia trees. Essentially. Right. Well, yeah. Cause that's the funny thing because Cage has still got his axe, but then he sees the chainsaw, ditches his axe, and he's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get him with a chainsaw. Yeah. We're like, holy shit, Nick Cage with a chainsaw, like, man, he is going to just go through anything that comes his way. And then here comes this half a mile long <laughs> chainsaw that just completely negates his. Yeah. And um, so yeah, they have a and ch- it- fun chainsaw battle. The guy falls on the chainsaw. You get a great just blood spray yeah. from underneath them. This is a cool aerial shot over him. Um, Yeah. He makes his way into the house. Here's where he is sort of temple almost. Y- yeah. It's this weird kind of a frame built at the bottom of a quarry. Yeah. Um, Another, it's just another, it's, like a little it's just like chapel. a little video game thing. Yeah. You're just, yeah. it's literally at the end of the path you had to get to is where the end boss is as you keep going deeper into his house, because he's they're on the main floor. This is another structure that then has some sort of weird chamber basement. Right. Right. Um, 
Because, yeah, he kills Mother Marlene, cuts her head off, and then tosses it into the room where Jeremiah is. And then we see Jeremiah's true colors to where he then just begs for his life up to. (laughs) Have you seen MacGruber? No, I haven't. Oh, God. All right. There's a very similar scene in MacGruber because there's a there. So there's a scene in MacGruber where uh, he's accidentally had like a bunch of people killed and he's going to be in trouble. And so Ryan Felipe and him have just started working together. Do you know what MacGruber is, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> okay, yeah, so no. he and Ryan Felipe have just started working together, and they kind of hate each other. So now he's, like, begging him to go to bat for him. Like, please, oh, please, I'm going to get in so much trouble. You got to just, what do you, you want me to suck your dick? I'll suck your dick, please. I'll fuck you. Do you want me to fuck, do you want me to fuck something in this room? Like, I'll fuck anything you want me to. Which is essentially what Jeremiah Sand does. Like, after he he is out of options, he's just like, I will suck your dick. How about that? <laughs> please? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's just a great Nick Cage. Like he just lets him talk. Like he he doesn't say anything in the scene, does yeah. he? Yeah. The only thing he says is, um, I believe he says, "I'm your god now." Yes, yeah, so at the very end. Yeah, in the, the very modulated end. demon voice. Yeah. As he literally crushes his skull. Yeah. Pops yeah. his eyes out. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, it's great. And then you know this the, the movie probably could have just basically ended right there but we get a nice oh a, a nice wonderful just perfect ending for this movie mm-hmm. where he is driving away still caked in blood driving away in one well, of does the, the flashback happen first before oh well uh what do you mean by flashback when they meet because they show when oh, they yeah, meet. yeah 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 because i think what's happening is he is in the car and he's he sort of sees her in the car with him. And then I think it cuts back to a flashback of when they okay, first met. Okay. And um, and it's just a nice like, even though they aren't together again, it's like by gaining his vengeance and getting his vengeance. Somehow it's like there's a peacefulness there and he sees her again and she's riding along in the car and she just looks like an angel. She's just peaceful. And we get a flashback of when they first met and um, <laughs> it cuts to this great iconic. shot. Iconic. <laughs> Super iconic shot of just like the colors are saturated oh, and just hyper so, like brightly lit, like overexposed almost. And it's just his white teeth are just shining. He's got this big goofy grin on his face, like just seeing her again while he's caked in blood. And it's just so zany. And it's like almost cute and hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the background um, seems to like even the, the the night sky seems to have almost taken on a sort of otherworldly futuristic alternate yeah. universe. Look. Like there are two moons, like there's one giant moon and then another moon almost behind it. it th- that's a very heavy metal yeah. landscape look at the end of it. Right. But yeah, right. they do have a, a brief flashback, no lines. It's just them. It literally just seeing each other. It's the, it is these Wes Anderson shots of just face face. Then you get like this cool other color cascade over the both of them as they look at each other. And we should point out also like Mandy is not real attractive. 
she looks broken. Like she has a scar on her face. Yeah. She looks broken, which I, is intentional. She talks about uh, like some abuse in her past. Yeah. So she, yeah, she is a broken person. So it is also very interesting that she is the center of attention for so many people, which it, the movie is tells you it's because of the purity of her, of her heart. Yeah. Her, herself. Is the, yeah. The and they, and you kind of get that implied that like, that's what made them such a sweet couple is that they, they may be both of, of really kind of undefined history. Maybe are both sort of uh broken people in a way or, yeah. or hurt, fragile people. And that's why they're so sort of tender and sweet together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. You they're do get two that broken impression. parts fit together. That's right. And then beautifully, did you watch the end credits? Uh, I feel like I did. Did I? What's such a nice little treat, especially for me and, and just what I felt during that scene, like at the end of the credits, you actually get to see what she was drawing. Like, it Oh, shows, I didn't see that. It shows oh, okay. the sketches. And, um, it's, I I'd like to think that it, maybe this is just me, but I'd like to think that maybe Nicholas Cage did, wasn't going to know what was going to be on those. Like as an actor, like coming into that scene that yeah. he wasn't going to know, see what she was drawing. But the fact that they went so far to actually show those pages on that desk, it kind of makes me think that that's what they probably did. And a couple of them are like sketches of Mandy, or you kind of think that it's Mandy in oh, sort no, wait, of yeah, like. I do remember this, yes. Yeah. And kind of like she's almost in like that heavy metal type, like yes. gear, almost like she's a superhero. And then this really beautiful sketch of Nicolas Cage, like really extremely well done with sort of a tiger behind him, like this mm -hmm. head face of a tiger. And um, it's just a really yeah, sweet. Seeing that, I was like, I want someone to draw me. <laughs> But I like um Let's like cool. Just, just have someone be like, here I drew you. <laughs> right. And really well. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, but, let uh, me specify. I want a good drawing of myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't bring your shit. <laughs> but that's that's the be I think the beauty of this movie is is that um it's it's so many different things, it's so many opposite things at the same time like it, it you could say that it's complicated in that it has all of these elements and genres but it's also a very simple and direct movie at the same time you could say that it's it's visually like so lush and and just this outpouring of color and texture but at the same time like i said it's it's very simple in its own way it's a very it's a very tight movie but with so many elements it's it's kind of unlike any other movie out there yeah it's one where, cause I'd seen it already and I was like, well, I'll just like, I'll put it on, I'll watch it, but I can probably like do some research while I like watch it and like look stuff up and stuff. And I just found myself not like I'm just was wrapped up in it for the whole two hours. Yeah. And I, I don't know it, it, it makes me, it makes me really hopeful for the future of filmmaking that, that somebody can come up with something truly unique and different. Um, I mean, Hey, we're just, we're just coming out of a world that has been beyond any person who has <laughs> ever been on this planet's experience. Yep. So I'd like to think that there are like the possibilities are limitless for, for 
not just what is shown on the screen, but how it's shown on the screen, playing with the narrative, mixing some things up, throwing those title cards in the middle of the movie, um, you know, throwing in that animation, that saturated light. You, why, why abide by rules? Why, why not just make something that's truly unique? And that's, it kind of feels like this movie is, is spiked with that freedom. And yeah. that's what makes it so cool. Well, yeah, you hope with as many streaming services as they are now and they're producing their own stuff that because you used to just have to rely on a studio and taking risks is not something they like to do. So this movie took a lot of risks and nailed all of them. Yeah. Nailed it. And by the way, I wish movie executives would know how much the public likes that stuff. Like, you know, I've referenced it many times, but it made me think a little bit about the production that you and I were in of The Pillow Man, which is a very harrowing sort of otherworldly um, futuristic show. And while it has some very extreme visuals and and text like even people that don't normally go in for that stuff were like i don't know what to think about that play but i know that it was amazing like right. it was it was and and these are just like like doctors lawyers like people that, that don't go for like i'm not talking about like scene kids and genre <laughs> you know like horror fans like normal quote-unquote normal everyday people want something new too so i i hope this this trend continues yeah so do you recommend this movie <laughs> yeah, if you hadn't guessed already, um, I I highly encourage you to to go out and see this. And I, I don't I don't even know I don't even know what to say. Like if you like this, yeah. you know, then then watch this movie. If if you I don't know if you're a human and you're not like a young child, watch this movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like if you don't like gore at all, don't watch this movie. If it's something that can happen where you're just like okay. Like, I get it if you don't watch movies for gore, and that's not what this movie is, you know? That's The Burning. Watch The Burning for gore. This movie has gore, but it's important. It's part of the story. Yeah, like, if your idea of a great time is, like, I don't even, like, uh, Made in Manhattan or something <laughs> like that. Like, was that the Jennifer Lopez? It's probably like... Yeah, that, that is. That is. Okay, I mean, here. If that, yeah, if that's the thing that you go in for, maybe, maybe no. Maybe or maybe or fuck it. Maybe you watch Mandy and see what a real movie is like. Yeah. See what the two people who actually love each other look like. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's um. it's I just recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Um, just get off your high horse and watch this movie. This yeah. What I'm saying. Well, you know what? I, let, let me just say this while we're at it. For people that listen to this podcast, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for everybody that does, whether you've listened a, a thousand times or this is your first time. But if you haven't seen these movies, really, we you'll know it if we picked a garbage movie because we'll tell you it's garbage. Yeah. Okay, but if we pick a movie that that we're going on and on about, you can trust that like you even if you feel like, well, I, I listen to the podcast, I know everything there is to know about this movie. No, we could do a three hour podcast on Mandy and it still isn't going to touch your experience as a viewer. You, you have to see it. Don't think we won't try either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, though. We're going to wrap this one up. Yes. Yeah. We've said enough. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, Mandy from 2018. A huge recommend from both of us. 
So that closes out horror through the cages. It's been great fun. Uh, he does. So let's, let's talk real quick about, uh, we talked about Nick cage at the beginning of the series. Let's talk about the future of Nick cage. Cause I, I brought this up to you a little earlier cause he's a, a, a trailer just dropped for a movie called Wally's wonderland. And it's a, you know, it's a, Nick Cage crazy scenario movie to where he plays a guy and he ends up fighting killer animatronic animals. So it's like, it's the, the five nights at Freddy's movie without having the licensing. Um, and it looks like a Nicholas cage movie where he's like just beating up crazy killer animatronics. And there looks to be a lot of like, crazy evil animatronics and the, the the creature design and it looks cool um at the same time while watching that trailer i was like okay i feel like we're coming to the end of crazy cage being fun and and i say that only on the speculation that cuz in this trailer he doesn't talk so my hope in the movie is this character does not talk. It's just a lot of (laughs) grunting and smashing things. Or if he does talk, it's like one or two lines, right? Um, But because I don't, I just, I don't feel like he's got anywhere else to go. Well, I, 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 I see what you're saying and I agree with it. I'm hopeful of, of something there have been some movies where i've seen trailers for them and it's just the way that they pitch the trailer like when i saw the trailer for donnie darko they pitched it as like kind of like a teen horror movie which is not at all what donnie darko is you know um and and it was so the movie was so so much more than i thought it was going to be based on the trailer so granted this movie i don't know how you could veer that far off into a different whole different territory versus what you see on the screen in the trailer. Right. But I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe there's some kind of stylistic element or something that saves it from just being, um, I get what you're saying is we're, we're in danger of, of Nicholas cage becoming a caricature of himself. Yeah. And he's, he's very, very lucky. This has worked at all. Right. Oh yeah. Cause it shouldn't. No, he's the only one who can, but he can't do it forever. It didn't work for Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey has not been able to do the same thing forever. You know, right? There gets a point where you're like, oh, he's doing Jim Carrey things. Like him being uh, Joe Biden on SNL is a perfect example. It's just like, well, it's just Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey things as Joe Biden. It's eventually going to get to. Okay, so this is movie X with Nicolas Cage doing that Nicolas Cage thing. You know? Right. Like, no, no, this movie, like Wally's Wonderland. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you now, it's not going to have any kind of artistic vision. <laughs> it is a, we have to get this thing out because Five Nights at Freddy's interest is waning. You have a very small window to get that type of movie out. Um, and you're not getting the rights to, you know, they, they can't figure how to do that movie. Someone has to do it to hit the iron. And they were, and it's like, cool. Nicholas cage also will do anything. Let's also not gloss over that. Nicholas cage is in debt up to his eyeballs and yes. he'll do anything 
anything. Does he put everything into it? Yes, he does. And that's, that's part of his success, but he will do anything for a paycheck. That guy has done a hundred thousand movies over the last 15 years. Yeah. No, he's done so many movies you've never heard of. I guess, I guess my overall response to that would be that I, I think the key word is balance. I, I, if he wants to sort of crank back the ratio of cage rage movies and maybe do one every few years instead of like one right after the other, because he doesn't have to do, I don't want to see him go back to like completely formulaic stuff, but it's funny. You just mentioned Jim Carrey a little bit ago, like that. What's that one movie? The, um, I always mix up the title with the unbearable lightness of being, but it's uh, the eternal, what is it? Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. So you have a movie that is quirky, but also has a tremendous amount of heart. So you can still have an element of quirkiness or weirdness, but, but it also has some, it's not just goofiness for goofiness. Sake. Yeah, no, no. He's so acting I, in that movie. I would love to see him. And you could almost, I mean, not quite, it, it, there's nothing really otherworldly about it, but you could almost say the same thing for Leaving Las Vegas, a non-traditional movie that plays well to him being a non-traditional actor, but also showcases his very genuineness on screen as well. Yeah. So I would, I would like to see a little bit more of that balance. Keep, keep a little bit of that spice you know, put a little mustard on whatever you do with uh, Nicolas Cage. I'm cool with it. But but don't forget that he he's capable of so much more. Right. All right. I agree. Well, he's been fun up to here. So, oh, yeah, you that's all I that mean, matters. When you first suggested this, I it to me, it felt a little out of left field. And but I'm so glad because, frankly, when I've told people about this, a lot of people are completely unaware. They're like Nicolas Cage in horror. Like they don't even think that he's done a horror movie before. Yeah. But so, it all has been very recently. Like, yeah, I mean, three of the movies we covered were in the last four years. Yes. Yeah. But but I I uh, I I. You know, I know you always ask if I have anything left to say about this movie. If there is one thing, it's just that. Oh, wait, don't do it yet. Hold on. Oh, okay. uh, follow our Instagram at Slumber Podcast Massacre. Our email is slumberpodcast at gmail.com or patreon.com slash slumberpodcastmassacre. Huge thanks to our patrons. You helped make this possible. Tim, do you have anything else to say about Mandy? <laughs> uh, this movie, and I, I think we've sort of touched on it a little bit already, but it, I'm this movie gives me faith. It, it gives me hope. Um, I kind of thought for a second that all of the mind blowing movies, even if it was that, that just like truckload of weird, cool movies that came out in the nineties, like killing Zoe and natural born killers and true romance and pulp fiction. It it was kind of like, we just like ran out and blew our wad all right there in the nineties. But this movie gives me hope that there's there's still so much to be unearthed and um i'm just i'm so excited to be a part of this podcast and hopefully we can find every single one of those movies to tell everybody about i never thought i'd focus my attention on what elijah wood's producing but (laughs) that's where we're at all right timmy well until next time no whoa 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 sorry i didn't want to interrupt here but uh, just realized we forgot to tell you what we were doing next week so tune in next week from 2013 we're doing the evil dead the remake because why not try and stop us okay it's gonna be good all right that's all for me back to the regular show until next time cheddar goblin watch mandy god damn it that's Watch your it. homework 
That's your homework, everybody. Go home, watch Mandy. All right. See you, Timmy. See ya.